Hello and welcome to the Not a Victim podcast. Not a Victim is a show about learning to live a life without excuses. Today's guest is Ashley York. All right, so just go ahead and uh, tell me a little bit about your background and upbringing and all that stuff. Okay, so when I was about 12 years old, uh, my mom and dad divorced. They were users. My mom shot my dad, so um, the marriage was totally over. Mm. So we moved to Texas, and my dad stayed here, and I didn't realize how traumatizing that was to me until later on. How old were you when that happened? I was 12. Mm. And I and I assume, obviously, he survived that, right? He did. He did. Man. So uh, you were saying that they were involved with with drugs during that time. Was, yes. Uh, were they, you know, were they using drugs... When that happened? Yes. That's that's a, a crazy thing to happen, obviously. Um, yeah, so keep going. Just your, your adolescence, all that stuff. So then we moved to Texas, and I started high school uh, about a year and a half later. And immediately I started looking for something outside of myself to, you know, cover stuff up and, hmm. you know, find acceptance and love and... I was looking for it in all the wrong places. Um, first thing I started looking for it in was men. Hmm. And um, then started smoking pot. And, you know, I got up into ninth and 10th grade. And next thing that came along was cocaine. And then I found out that I was pregnant. I was seeing this guy. And I found out I was pregnant. And I was like, this is going to be the answer to all my problems. Hmm. So, I was still in high school. I still went to school. Um, the baby was born, and this just made everything worse. Mm. He wasn't really around, and I was kind of just like begging him, you know, whatever I got to do for you to be around, mm. looking for that acceptance. And um, so I was still seeing him when he would come around. But after I had the baby, I started back drinking and smoking pot and doing cocaine. And um, I was still in high school. Um, I found out in March I was pregnant again. And this was my senior year. Was this with the the same uh, man? Yes. Okay. And um, I was pregnant with twins. I graduated in May. And they were born in October. So, you know, once again, I was thinking, this is going to be the answer to all my problems. But after they were born, I was having to do all the work in, and he wasn't ever around. But when he came around, I would do anything just to make him stay, you know, just hmm. whatever I got to do for you to be here. Well, DFACS got on our case out in Texas, which is Family Children Services. Right. And um, they were looking for us because there were bruises on two of my twins. And they were about six months at the time. Well, I didn't want to believe that. And plus, I was not going to lose him at any cost. They were looking for us on a Friday, and I left on a Saturday. Mm. And came to Georgia. So, I got to Georgia, and I thought, you know, of course, geographic change. Yeah. You know, everything's going to be better. You know, if I move across the country, I'm going to be okay. (laughs) So... Uh, I get here and I started working at the 
Waffle House, and he started, you know, working here and there for my dad, and then one night I was having to work night shift, and he kept the kids because it was the weekend, and um, I had pawned my twins off on somebody else because I didn't want to keep them. I wanted to get high that night, hmm. and they were actually two teenage girls, and so all day had passed by. And they told me, when I called finally to get them, they was like, you need to call the sheriff's department, and they hung up the phone. So I was like, oh, no. Hmm. So I called the sheriff's department, and they're like, you need to come up here. The whole household needs to come up here. So we, we all went up there, and I knew that he had done something. I just didn't know what. Hmm. And... We got there and they started showing me pictures of my twins. At this time, they were seven months old. Um, there were bruises all over their ribs. Mm. My little girl had a black eye. And um, it was a really, really long night. We sh sat in the sheriff's department. Mm. He was arrested right then, but they let me go. Uh, the next day, they came and locked me up for cruelty to children for not protecting them. Because mm. I knew he was abusive and I didn't do anything about it. So mm. my dad bonded me out, but they didn't bond him out. I, I was able to leave. And when I did, I wasn't able to get my kids back because obviously right. I wasn't able to be a mother. Mm. And they had already given me a drug test and I had failed because I had tried some meth. And... Um, when I realized when I got out that I didn't have him, I didn't have my kids, I was already an addict. So, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was I was going to get high. So that's exactly what I did. And it went on and on. And I got this case plan from Deepaks. And, I mean, I couldn't do it. I was on drugs. I couldn't pass six months of clean drug tests for them. You know, I couldn't hmm. do what they were asking me to do. But. Never did I say, you know, I have a problem or can I get some help? I was just like, you know, I'm going to just sign these kids up for adoption. I'm going to sign my rights away and, you know, everything will be. They also took my oldest daughter when I got out of jail. They took her from the home, too. Wow. So the adoption for the twins, it came quick, but for my oldest one, it took about two years, but I've only seen her like two or three times. Mm. So I went on with my life like nothing had happened, just getting high, you know, just trying to bury all that stuff and pretend that nothing was going on. And, of course, feed my habit, my addiction. So then I meet this other guy. And um, we got pregnant, and I was like, this is the answer to all my problems. <laughs> this is going to be what fixes me. Mm. So... Um, I got off the meth, and about five months into my pregnancy, I got on pills and started taking Lortabs, Lortabs and uh, Oxycodones. And I was like, well, this this is okay, you know, this is prescription stuff. Even though it wasn't my prescription, I was like, you know, this is okay. It feels official you know? when the, when a doctor gives it to you. Right, absolutely, <laughs> even if he gives it to somebody else, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he gave it to them, it's got to be okay for me, right? you know? But, um, sick thinking. <laughs> so, um, when I went to the hospital to have my son, they tested me right then because of my background with defects. 
and I failed with opiates. And two hours after him being born, defects took custody of him, and I seen him three times after that. Mm. But after that, my rights were taken. I tried to, you know, full defects and try to drink a bunch of water or drink this kind of special drink or, you mm. know, take this shampoo to clean my hair out. You know, I went to extreme measures. But it didn't, it didn't pan out in the end. They caught me for the last time. I took a drug test. I failed for cocaine, meth, marijuana, and pills. Mm. So mm -hmm. they shut my case. They took my rights to my son. And by this time, I found out I was pregnant again. And I told my dad, I was like, I'm not going to go through this again. But still, you know, nowhere did I say, you know, I got a problem. Everybody else was telling me, you know, you got a problem. I was like, no, y'all got the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I went and had an abortion. Mm. I was still seeing the same guy. We were still on the pills and, um, you know, just come back like nothing had happened. And, you know, a few, few months later, I found out I was pregnant again. And I didn't go to the doctor, not one time in my pregnancy. I was going to the methadone clinic by this time. I was on 160 milligrams of methadone because I thought, you know, this this is okay. They're giving it to me. All I got to do is give them a little bit of money. Mm. And I got my dope. You know, my dad would tell me, he's like, this is not right. And I'm like, the doctor gave me this. This is fine. Mm. I'm prescribed this. And um, so when it came time to have her, I went to another state. And I had been smoking marijuana, so... You know, I hadn't had any prenatal care or anything, so I just show up to the hospital in South Carolina, and they want to, you know, ask me all these questions that I didn't have answers for, and they want to know about my prenatal care, and I didn't have any, and I tried to lie, and they didn't find any records. I mean, mm. so, of course, you know, they drug test, and they found uh, marijuana and the methadone in my system, and I remember... They had wrote me a prescription, and all I did was grab the prescription, and I left. I left my child in the hospital, and I never looked back. Uh, that was 10 years ago, and um, the state of South Carolina took her. I'm not even sure on all the details still yet, but, you know, one day if God wants to restore that, that'll be great. But if not, I understand that, too. I'm sure it'll help me. Mm. So... Then I uh, went to work. I came back to Georgia, and I just acted like nothing had happened. My dad had finally had enough of me working for him. Uh, I was stealing from him, and he's like, you can't work here. So I was like, all right. So I went to work for another company here in town, and I started stealing their money. And I stole about $10,000 in about a month and a half. And they found the receipt book where I was writing fake receipts. And then they started questioning me. And, of course, it's like, I didn't do that. I don't know, you know, turn the tears on, you know, <laughs> the whole show. I didn't have nothing to do with that. But, of course, I was charged, um, pled guilty, and I did two years in Alto State Prison. The whole time I was there, I told my family, you know, I'm going to do right. I'm going to get out. I'm going to get me a job. I'm going to do what I can to get my life back on track. Well, even after two years of being there, the first thing I did when I got out was get high. Mm. And so 
Then I met another guy. This guy had not been in any trouble. He was in the service, and uh, I was like, "Oh, this guy's great. This is what this is what's going to fix my problem. I know it this time." Mm. So I got pregnant, and I did get sober. I got sober for about 16 months, and we had our little girl. And um, I thought I was, you know, working a program or that I had recovered or. But I hadn't, because as soon as we started having mar- marital problems, mm. I used. And once I picked up, it was on. I couldn't stop again. I found out I was pregnant again, and I didn't get prenatal care. I would tell them that I was going to the doctor, and I never would. I would just smoke meth. And uh, when I went to the hospital to have her, I went to Asheville, and he went with me. And she was born healthy, thank the Lord. And um, they came back in the room and they said, you failed for methamphetamines. And he just looked at me Mm. and he was like, enough's enough. So he took both the girls and um, he was like, you know, they're not going to live like this. And Mm. uh, so when I got home, I took off. I was really doing meth then and all kind of other crazy stuff. And. He had left one weekend on drill, and I knew who kept the kids, so I went over there. I kicked her door in and demanded my kids, and only one was there. My sister had the other one, but my family didn't want to tell me because they knew what rough shape I was in. So I took my my little girl, my youngest little girl, then my phone started ringing, and it was the sheriff's department, how they were going to charge me with kidnapping if I didn't bring her back. And I was like, she's my kid. And they're like, no, you got to bring her back. So I was thinking to myself, you know, 20 years is a long time for kidnapping Mm. my own kid. So I better take her back. So I did. They didn't arrest me that night, but two weeks later they did. And um, I was locked up. And my dad, of course, I called him and he was relieved that at least I was in jail and he knew that I couldn't kill myself by using in there. Mm. He was relieved and he was like, you know, you got to do something different. You know, you need to go to treatment. And I was like, yeah, if they'll get me out, I'll go to treatment. Well, they wasn't going to get me out. Nobody was going to get me out. I had to set my time out. And um, I said, well, if I have to stay here that long, I'm not going to treatment. Mm. And that night when I said that, I had a dream in my cell that set me up straight up out of my bed. I was, it was a using dream. Mm. And it was so bad. He set me up straight up out of my bed. And I called my dad that, that morning. I said, I'll go to treatment. Mm. What was the so dream? When, Do you remember it? Yeah. Um, I had a needle on my arm. And that's all I remember. Mm. It was just bad. And it set me straight up. It scared me. And um, I knew then that you know, that was God showing me that I needed to do something. So I told my dad, I was like, I'll go, I'll go to treatment. I'll go to treatment. So I set my time out. Well, when it got time for me to get out, I didn't call my family to come get me. I called, you know, the dope supplier. I was like, you know, come get me. Well, somebody had already told my dad that I got out. And so my dad started looking for me. And he found me, and he's like, if you don't come home, this is your last chance. And something in my heart told me, you got to go. 
you got to go. So I went with him, got my stuff together. I went down to Promise of Hope in Dublin, Georgia, and um, stayed there. When I got there, I, that night I got there, I was like, God, here I am. I'm a mess, nothing but a garbage can. Mm. I said, I need you to help me. You know, I didn't know who I was talking to, and I don't know if at that point I really meant what I said. But for the first three months, I thought about it every day that there's got to be a successful way I could use. There's got to be. There's got to be. Well, about six months, I realized there is no successful way that I could use dope. Mm. One too many and a thousand's never enough. But about seven months, I remember I woke up one morning and the sun was shining in my window on my bed. And I woke, up, I woke up and God revealed to me that my life would never be the same mm. and that I was set free. I stayed in the program. I graduated the program. I stayed on two extra months. I worked for them. I came back to Raven County. I got my uh, two of my youngest kids back. I got 50-50 custody of them. Mm. I came back. Uh, my dad has started a church for addicts called the lighthouse and i got involved with that full force started volunteering for drug court and one of the coordinators asked me she's like why aren't you in school so i was like lord if this be your will you know open up the doors and it wasn't two weeks later i was enrolled in north Georgia tech wow so went to school i met um a man that uh our Clean dates were, let's see, they're four days apart, and we got married. Uh, we've been in the lighthouse full force, um, helping others with addiction, mm. but we've been set free. Mm. What do you no. think, wow, what do you think uh, kind of kept the cycle going so long? Like, in, for you internally in your in your mind, what was the, like, mentality that allowed it to continue over and over again? Um, I felt I felt like, you know, that was the life that I deserved. That was, you know, that was my value. And that... And plus, I wasn't able to face reality of all my wrongs. Hmm. And I covered it up by using, you know, it was easy to be like, oh, well, I got a problem, you know. Hmm. I'm on drugs. That ain't really me, but I found out in treatment, you know, a lot of those characteristics were still there even without the dope. Right. You know, I had to clean up the inside, and plus I had to do some trauma work that I didn't know affected me. From, uh, yeah, when from when you when you're really young, right? Yes. Hmm. And I remember he came down to the treatment facility, and she just start the therapist just started asking me questions, and we were in front of a whole bunch of people, and she started asking me questions about my childhood, and it started coming up, and when it did, I couldn't stop. Hmm. And I got to tell my dad how I felt that very day because I remember when he came to get his clothes, I was crying and my tears was falling on the bald, bald spot in the top of his head because he was at the bottom of the steps. Hmm. And I remember begging him to stay and he left. You know, he had to leave. Hmm. But I was able to work through that and after I did, I felt like both my arms had been cut off because that had been my identity for so long. I'd carried that around and not even knew it. Hmm. So both the uh, unhealthiness of the of the way you grew up, and then just the weight of guilt of 
negative things you did after that just sort of kept the ball rolling where you get to a certain point where you just go, okay, screw it. We're this far in. Let's just keep going. And uh, right, Might as well. Yeah, I feel like that's such a natural thing. So obviously the home that you grew up in was really uh, unstable. And what did you learn throughout the, the process of rehab that gave you uh, structure and gave you order? and sort of has changed the way your day-to-day life is. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, your day-to-day life now is uh, is so much healthier than that. But what are the things that they sort of put in place or that you put in place uh, to, to make um, life everything different? Everything was so structured there, everything. Mm-hmm. We woke up every day at the same time, except on Saturday and Sunday, we were able to get up at 7 instead of 6.30. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had classes every day and plus held a full-time job. Uh, everything was done in order from chores to cooking. I mean, everything was done in order, everything, Mm. you know, um, if we left our coffee cups out, they put them on necklaces for, for us and we wore them for a week. Mm. I mean, so we knew cause a lot of us, I mean, we didn't know nothing about, you know, cleaning up after ourselves. I mean, I didn't know, you know, about hygiene, about, you know, simple stuff like showering every day and brushing my teeth every day. Right when when home is is crazy, nothing is normal. No normal thing is put in place. Right. Man. What um you know what do you say to someone who's in the middle of that right now? Um, not necessarily exactly that scenario, but it's just in the middle of that guilt, in the middle of uh, of doing a, a bunch of things wrong in a row, and just feeling like, well, who cares at this point? No one gives a crap about my life, so why should I? I would say, you know, the tr- the program teaches us is our higher power I call God that's there and willing to help us clean out that garbage can that we've carried around so long. Mm. You know, he takes off that ball and chain. Mm. He cleanses us from the inside out, but your life is always worth something. It's meaningful. God had a purpose for you before the foundation of the earth, and just because you've changed your mind doesn't mean he's changed his. Mm. That really is the heart of the entire gospel, really, that uh, that you don't have to live walking around with the guilt of everything you've ever done. A lot of your life now is spent um, helping people out of the, the things that you've come through. And in a way, um, I think there's like no more meaningful thing to spend your life doing than to help people out of a negative thing that you have experienced. Just any thoughts on that, on the the blessings that you've seen since you've helped people, um, anything like that? Um, I'll tell you, just right off, there's nothing that sets my soul on fire when somebody who's stuck in that, you know, sends me a message or calls me up or sees me out somewhere and be like, look, I'm struggling, I need some help, I'm drowning. Mm. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing, I remember... I'll use this for an example. Last year, it was last March, uh, there was a guy that uh, we knew he sold drugs in the county. Big time dope dealer in the county. Well, he had been busted. He was standing out by Ingalls. He had just got out of jail. And we had our Lighthouse t-shirts in my trunk. And we took him one. And I was like, hey, you want to come to the Lighthouse with us tonight? And he had an ankle monitor on. And he was like, sure, I'll go. He came. He never missed a night again. He got his life back in order. He got off drugs. He got to see his little girl. 
And I mean, that was a big kingpin of the county. I mean, wow. he still had pending charges that he's serving the time for now. Hmm. But I mean, he's in the jail spreading the gospel. Hmm. That's amazing. What do you say to people that um, that don't believe in God? And I bring this up a lot because there's, it's such a modern thing to think that we've somehow elevated ourselves above uh, the existence of God, that we don't need him anymore, that he was a thing for 500 years ago. Culture is very humanist now, um, and we've sort right. of detached ourselves from God. But uh, just thoughts on that. My My thoughts on that tend to be that you can't really forgive yourself it has to come from your creator. It has to come from someone above you up the food chain. Um, and so I see with among people that don't believe in God, they have this sort of uh, sense of guilt and no way to get rid of it. But just any thoughts on that? Um, if I could have done it by myself, I would have done it before. You know, I lost seven kids mm. due to drug addiction before I ruined everything in my life. Mm. I would have done it, but I, I could not do it. Still cannot you know, keep it if I didn't put him first in everything I do. Mm. I mean, that's how I know that God's real because he done it for me. I mean, man tried to do it. My dad sent me to psychologists. I can't tell you the amount of money that he spent trying to get me therapy and psychologists and uh, psychiatrists. Right. None of it worked. They all say, oh, just find yourself or find your happiness or whatever. It's all this like... There was none there. Yeah, yeah. I I was telling someone this the, the other day. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went through a season where I was dealing with depression and became suicidal and stuff. And during that time, I was more in tune with my own thoughts than I had ever been. So this idea that I was going to find some magic, uh, you know, love in there somewhere uh, didn't seem to work for me. And it didn't seem logical because I knew what I had and it was bad. Uh. <laughs> um, how is your mom doing now? Um, She's all right. We don't speak a lot because... Um... You know, she's still in the cycle, hmm. but I love her, and I'm praying, and I'm, I'm believing. We're having a freedom crusade this weekend. She's been invited. If she'll show up, I believe that God can help her just like he did me. Hmm. God's no respecter of person. You know, if he can do it for me, he can do it for anybody else. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your time. This has been a huge blessing to me and, and to everyone who will, uh, who will hear it. Thank you so much. All right. Have a blessed night. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you, ma'am.